0: I've been wanting to do that ever since I walked in this room. <laughs> huh? Just house of cards. It's just asking to be knocked down, isn't it? Right? I mean, that's its destiny. That's its destiny. <laughs> you see someone spending all day building a house of cards, and then you just get to go in and one chop, and it's down, it's done. It's history. It's flat. It's fun. Knocking down a house of cards is fun. (laughs) I feel better. (laughs) It is fun. Unless you happen to be in it. Some of us have. Haven't we? Some of us have. How many things in your life, looking back, how many things in your life, uh, in retrospect, Did you see as simply a house of cards? A house of cards. Maybe it was a career. Uh, You know, you spent your life building and building and building and then gone. Perhaps it was an investment. Maybe it was money. You spent your life building and building and building. And in one in in one swoop, it's gone. Maybe a relationship. Maybe a, maybe a physical ability or maybe beauty. You spend your life building and building and building and then, I mean, one minute it's there and the next it's gone. One second it's standing, the next second it is flat. And you had no idea, you had absolutely no idea, no forewarning or signal, no one to tip you off to the impending doom of what your house of cards might look like. And that, of course, is what is so tricky about a house of cards, because a house of cards never really looks like a house of cards, you know? I mean, if it looked like a house of cards, then you would have made other plans, right? But a house of cards always appears to be a palace, bulletproof, bombproof, an impregnable fortress. And if you could have only seen it for what it really and truly is, I mean, Would people have stepped onto the Titanic if they would have known what was going to happen? What about those who went to work the morning of September 11th? Would they have have even gone to work if they would have known what would have happened just a, a few hours later? Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that allows us to see clearly, that gives us vision. That gives us perspective. That it's, it's, it's an x-ray passage of scripture. It's Revelation chapter 17 and 18. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there and in your church Bibles, uh, just flip to the very back and uh, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we're going to get a revelation this morning. We're going to get a perspective And in chapters 17 and 18, which we'll be covering today, the Apostle John is allowed to see his world for what it really and truly is. He he saw it as it truly was because he saw it the way God saw it. And if you, for, if you forget anything else this morning, please remember this, church family, you will see this world as it truly is when you see it the way God sees it. And it's as if God is, you know, we turn to 17 and 18 Revelation, and, and it's as if God is passing out glasses to every person in this room and says, put these on. You just think you're seeing a world Perspective, but you haven 't seen the world as it truly is until you put these on, so put these on and wear them and 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 what we 're going to see here in these chapters are some very graphic images they 're graphic uh, this is a pg thirteen passage of scripture okay it is and 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 uh, for that matter. The entire book of Revelation has been pretty graphic. I mean, it is full of symbols and figures. But the deal is sometimes we need graphic images to get the message that needs to be gotten. I mean, sometimes we need, we need to be jolted. We need to see something. You know, I can say to you, look, meth, methamphetamines will kill you. I mean, they'll just kill you. I can say that, all right? Some of us might get that message, but if I show you some pictures, huh, this is before methamphetamine, this is three years and five months later, that's what it'll do to you, huh? Get that burned into your mind, that's what'll happen, you see. See, sometimes it takes a graphic image to get the message across and to get it burned into our hearts so that we will see as we're supposed to see and that's what revelation 17 and 18 are about so what i want us to do this morning is i want us to i want us to read i'm going to read the first six verses of revelation chapter 17 here one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Now remember, John, where is John? John's in the throne room. And there in the throne room are these seven bowls. And, and uh, the seven bowls and the seven trumpets and the seven seals are all images of, of judgment. Uh, and God is going to deal with the evil In this world, and these seven bowls, remember what was in the bowls? Katie talked about that a little earlier. The saints were praying, God, when are you going to end this? Please, God, end this evil. And and those bowls fill up with the prayers of the saints, which, which then become incense before the throne of God. And then those angels take those bowls, and then they upend those bowls onto the world. And those bowls, which were filled with the prayers of saints, then become bowls of judgment on the evil that's going on. And and so this this event here in 17 is kind of tied in with those bowls. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, that's John, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters." With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead. Mystery. Now, in the Bible, the word mystery is... uh, In the Bible, the word mystery is a a secret that's no longer a secret, okay? That's what the word mystery means. It's a a revealed secret, something that was hidden but now has been made public. Mystery. The title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Then John says in verse six, "I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus." Now, now these are graphic images, <laughs> and this is uh, just uh, heavy symbols here. So we need to unpack these. We need to unpack these symbols, and I want to do that. And and I want us to then I want us to listen to what. God was saying to the Apostle John in the year AD ninety-five, and then I then we need to get the lesson for today. What's the message here for us today? What what did John see, and now what do we need to see? Now you see the beast there. We, that's a familiar image, right? That reminds us of the of the this seven headed beast with ten horns from chapter 13. It's obviously a satanic figure. And it's the sea beast that arises and it represents political powers that are in alliance with Satan. Satan is this, is this false trinity, Satan the dragon, sea, Satan the sea beast, Satan the land beast, trying to ape and mimic the true God. Satan's just a trickster. He's just a cheap imitation. So we know who the beast is. The, the beast is this, is this satanic figure there. But who's the woman? Huh? Who is the woman? Well, look at verse 18. Verse 18 tells us who the woman is. Verse 18 in chapter 17 says, The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. To, now, remember, this is A.D. 95. We've got to get out of our culture, get into John's culture. A.D. 95. What was, in A.D. 95, what was the greatest city on the face of the earth? Rome of the Roman Empire, and that's who this woman represents. In and, and John's world, the Roman Empire was at its strongest, it, at its height of power, uh, and, 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 and Rome saw itself as a fortress. And, and in fact, Rome was, was thought of as an idea, a dream, a Rome, uh, uh, there was a dream that was Rome and, and, and this idea was in fact worshipped as a god, as a goddess. In fact, there was a goddess called the goddess Roma and faithful, patriotic Roman citizens would march into the, to the temple and offer sacrifices to this, to this idea of, 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 of Roma, the goddess Roma. And God says, uh, god says John, let's, let's take a trip here. Let's go somewhere. And John is whisked away into the wilderness. Did you see that? Into the desert. Which is a symbol for security and safety. Just as God's people in the Old Testament when they left Egypt were there in the wilderness. And it was stark and spartan and barren, but they were protected because they were in the presence of God. And so there in the presence of God in the wilderness, which is a symbol for security and safety, John is in a place where he can get a good look at this girl. And he sees this woman for what she really is. He sees not a goddess, but a what? A prostitute. A whore holding a cup seated on a satanic beast. There, the Roman Empire, with all of its power and all of its glitter and all of its glory, was in fact in alliance with, with, with Satan. And, and, and look, it says, she sat on many waters... We learn that in verse 15. What is many waters? Verse 15 says many waters represents peoples and multitudes and language and nations. And that was the Roman Empire. I mean, they, they, they were in alliance with other kings and kingdoms that paid tribute to them. And, and in exchange for loyalty and tribute. And the empire promised security. And, but it was an alliance based on an ungodly an uh, ungodly situation. It was an ungodly economic alliance. Furthermore, it was an alliance, verse 6, it was an alliance that persecuted Christians. And so this graphic image of this prostitute who's drunk on the blood of Christians, these are martyrs, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And so you see, John's taken out of his culture to a safe spiritual place and he's with God so that he can see the city as God sees the city. And from there, he doesn't see this beautiful cultural goddess. He sees a harlot. And, uh, and her name isn't Mother Rome either. Look at her name. Her name is Babylon. Wow, Babylon. Why, why Babylon? Well, remember, John is Hebrew, okay? And many of the Christians... In AD 95 there in Asia Minor are uh, Christians that have Hebrew heritage. And the minute they hear the word Babylon, it triggers a history. It triggers a history. Babylon was where the Israelites were exiled for idolatry in the year, uh, well, about 600 years before Christ. And Babylon at that time was a world power, a beautiful, luxurious capital. Babylon is, is now in where modern day Iraq is. And and it was just beautiful, beautiful. In fact one of the seven wonders of the ancient world were the, the hanging gardens of Babylon. Now now this is in the desert, but they had this beautiful, beautiful hanging gardens. And that 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 in that day was the equivalent of air conditioning. I mean, it was just fantastic technology, wonderful, wonderful technology. And yet Babylon, this world empire, fell in one day. In one day, history tells us, in the year uh, 539 B.C., Babylon fell to Cyrus the Great, king of Persia. Cyrus's troops diverted the Euphrates River upstream. I mean, now this was in the day before Caterpillar earth-moving equipment. They diverted the river. But that's what he did. He diverted the river upstream. And then the soldiers marched right across the dry river banks underneath the wall. And most of the Babylonians in the city center were oblivious, oblivious to the breach. And Cyrus claimed the city by simply walking through the gates of Babylon with little or no resistance from the drunken Babylonians, you see. In one night, house of cards It was a house of cards, and so John sees this sensuous, sexy prostitute riding this satanic-like beast, intoxicated with the blood of martyred Christians, and John is perplexed and astonished. John's going, well, wait a minute, angel. I thought you were going to show me judgment here. This looks like the prostitute is winning, and the angel says, don't be astonished. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. She doesn't have long. She doesn't have long. See, Rome sees herself as a fortress, an impenetrable castle. But when you see your world the way God sees your world, it's something else. It's a house of cards. And in verses 7 through 13, the angel explains how John's world, Rome, looks powerful and acts powerful and apes Almighty God And these kings here in verses 7 through 13, these kings represent any king, any ruler, any government that tries to set itself up as God. And they attack God and they try to be God and they go after God's people. And for a while it looks like they're winning, but they're not because Jesus has won, verse 14. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome because He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Not Domitian, not Vespasian, not Augustus. He is not, he is not uh, Dominus Deus. He is not the, the Lord God Almighty. Jesus is. He is one. Because at the cross, evil exhausted its entire arsenal against God's son. And Satan is out of bullets. And now he's just using a knife. And in the end, this is the thing. In the end, Satan will be so frustrated that he will turn on his own followers. That's what we see in verses 16 and 17. The beast so frustrated that that he can't defeat the lamb, he will then turn on the woman. He turns on the woman. The beast and the ten horns will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Satan is so twisted and so maniacal that he turns on his own. He turns on his own followers. And why? Look at verse 17, the most encouraging verse in this chapter. For God has put it into their hearts. He's talking about the beast and Satan. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. Nothing Satan does is outside the will of God. Nothing. Nothing. Satan is the universe is not in a civil war because that would imply that Satan is equal to God, but he's not. He is just a puny insurgent who knows his time is short. And everything he does, everything he does goes against him. (laughs) He's an insurgent. And that's the world. That's what I want you to see. God says to John, and and. And you know when Jesus comes again, (laughs) this this is why there's not going to be this military battle at Armageddon that we hear in kind of pop eschatology Christian culture today because Satan's going to defeat himself. Jesus is going to come and say, done, you're done. (laughs) And so the city falls. The city falls because the city arrogantly assumes that it can exist without God And that's why chapter 18, verse 2, says fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. It's a house of cards. It collapses beneath its own weight. And it does so so quick. One minute it was standing there. We thought it was secure, but it's not. Well, verse 8 says in one day. No, verse 10, no, not in one day, one hour. (laughs) In one hour, which means a very short time. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin and the reason why babylon fell is in verse 7 in her heart she boasts i sit as queen i am not a widow and i will never mourn i i i i i no. do you recall the tower of babel in uh, genesis chapter 11 verse 4 the tower of babel that w- w- The the, the first skyscraper was built in defiance of God. (laughs) Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The quintessential city of rebellion is Babel. I mean, that first skyscraper built in clear defiance of God, God, God originally commissioned his people, humans, to, to be miners of the riches of creation, and they were to turn the natural resources of the physical universe and their, and their personal resources that God gave them to, toward that which was in the image of God. They were, God's people were to be culture builders, developing science and art and civic life, building a civilization that glorified God as the chief source and foundation. But Babel, Babylon, Rome is about a city committed to self-glory. And the love of self-glory is God's greatest competitor in our hearts today. And any culture, whether it's Babel, Babylon, Rome, any culture that competes with God is on borrowed time. And that includes the Third Reich, and that includes the Soviet Union, and that includes the United States. When we try to live on our terms without God, it's a house of cards. It's just a matter of time because God has not designed this world to live without him. And when the and when the city falls, okay, L- look at what. Chapter eighteen is just one big cry. It's a, uh, just right in your margin, a big bunch of blubbering crybabies <laughs> over on. There, how about that for alliteration? A big bunch of blubbering crybabies over Babylon. That's just all it is. They're just crying over over what? Over what? You know what they're crying over? They're, they're crying because there's no, there's, there's no more profit. <laughs> there, there's are crying because they, they can't make any more money off of them. The, 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 the very length of the lament here tells you how much stuff That they lusted after this whole catalog of items here in verses eleven and twelve and thirteen. All these things we're not going to get those anymore. We're not going to get these anymore. They cry as if this world is all there is. That's why they're crying. Do you think that spirit exists in our world today? Do you? Oh, let me count the ways, huh? Let me count the ways. Affluence, huh? Uh, There's a book called Rainbow's End. Talks about the crash of 1929. Listen to this quote by its author, uh, named, uh, last name is Klein. In the summer of 1929, much of America was on an artificial high. It was a high born not of drugs, but of an illusion that the prosperity and the good times then being enjoyed were made uh, uh, of new miracle ingredients that would last forever. That was the summer of 29. And then October came. You know, Americans have short memories, and we're living through that again, and our culture and our economy is reaping the consequences of greed and the craving for more. Yeah, that's the spirit of Babel. That's the spirit of Babylon showing up. Huh? I'll tell you where else it shows up. It shows up in, in twisted, godless perspectives and commentaries about about, what, about the news, he, he, example. This past week, a famous Hollywood actor was found dead in a hotel closet, all right? Hotel closet, hotel closet room, this week in Thailand. Very sad, terribly sad. When they found him, they, they, they found no evidence of foul play, no evidence of homicide, which left two other options, and, and only two other options. Number one, uh, suicide, intentional suicide. Number two, accidental death due to perverse activity. All right? The, the internet media took great pains in the next couple of days, took great pains to explain that number one was out of the question. I mean, David Carradine could never have killed himself. Never. Suicide. It's never. Because that's just, you know, we just took great pains. Oh, no, that never could have happened. Ever, ever. Because, you know, that might have implied that he was some sort of, have some sort of mental illness. And we, we just can't handle that and everything. So, so, so that's just out of the question. So what does that leave us with? That leaves, a, that leaves us with option number two. A kinky sex act that went horribly bad. And that's supposed to relieve us. Hmm? But that's how our world thinks. You see, that's how our world thinks. Uh, Our world thinks that it's better to die of perversity than mental illness. Yeah. You say, Randy, you're being critical. Yes, I am. (laughs) Yeah. But we should. I mean, we should think critically, and and if we don't think critically, if we don't think critically, then then we get infected. The absence of God in the mainstream media should alert us to the fact that when we think uncritically, we leave ourselves open and vulnerable to the world's perspectives, to the perspectives of of the media's worldview. And then that slowly but surely causes us and leads us to to stop thinking of the things of the Lord in the details of our everyday life. Listen, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great if tomorrow night on the CBS Evening News, we're sitting there watching at the very beginning of the program, Katie Couric comes on and says, Good evening, Um, before I share with you this evening's news, Let's ask God's wisdom to rightly interpret today's events. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm telling you, you know what would happen? The ratings would soar. People would say, I say, Sarah, come on, you gotta watch this. Huh? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. The next time you watch TV or next time you go to a movie, and I love movies. You saw me there on Memorial Day. I like watching movies. But I want you to think critically about those movies. I want you to ask yourself what does the director want me to see? See, what's the message? What's the message? What's the message? Uh, oh, yeah. See, the, the mindset that God is not active in our daily lives kill us, it will destroy us, it will. And, and, and we're wired to worship, so we become what we worship. I've said it before, I'll say it again, because someone else said it, and it's good. What we, what we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or restoration. You worship, you are, we are wired to be worshipers, and so we choose our God, and then that God makes us. So yeah, think critically, okay? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, every worldview must become subject to Jesus because he is the king. He's the king. So now what? Hmm? Well, now what is chapter 18, verse 4? Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. God wants us to be distinct and separate. and He does not want us to be swept aside by Babylon's, uh, Babylon's seductions. Now, but this does not mean we abandon the city. This does not mean we abdicate and abandon. No, no, no. You see, the truth is God loves the city. He's a city builder. Heaven is going to be an urban paradise. Did you know that? It's going to be an urban paradise. Just read Revelation 21. And and this, this prostitute's demise in chapter 18 prepares us for the procession of the bride in Revelation 21. Oh, this beautiful bride! This beautiful bride! I've never seen. I have done a hundred weddings here in twenty years. I've never seen. I've never seen an ugly bride. Oh, I've seen a few grooms that could use help, but I've never. <laughs> but I've never seen an ugly bride. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I. Uh, I used to be a groom. Okay. I'm t- if Sarah ever leaves me, I'm going with her. Okay. <laughs> you know that. So this, 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 the fall of this prostitute prepares us for the bride. The fall of Babylon prepares us about the coming of the new Jerusalem. And we're either one or the other. See, we, either, we are either Babylon or Jerusalem. We are either a prostitute or a bride. So who are you? Who are you? To which city do you belong? And right now, I fear that some of us are being tempted and lured and enticed to Babylon. That, that, that Babylon is offering to be a friend with Benefits and you think you think if i just had this relationship or if i just had if i just had this career or if my or or if my child were just this way or if my church were just this way well then you know then everything would just be hunky dory because if because things need to change out there before i'm going to be happy listen no it's right here in the heart it's right here in your heart Someone once said the power of temptation is not in its appeal to our baser instincts. If that were the case, it would be natural to be repulsed by it. The power of temptation is in its appeal to our idealism. You know, when it comes to your job tomorrow morning, see, when you go to work tomorrow morning, who do you work for? Do you work for Jerusalem or do you work for Babylon? Are you, are you, gonna, are you, are you the bride professionally or are you the harlot professionally? Are you taking your creative abilities that God has given you to use them as, as a, for self-glorification? Or are you seeking to be part of the new Jerusalem? Do you see yourself as a spouse of Jesus Christ? Perhaps you're an employer. And you know, you wield power. You're an employer. Then you are king. So professionally, who are you sleeping with? Spiritually, the kings of the earth that ally themselves with Babylon will eventually be terrified by her torment. If you take your abilities and you cheat and you lie, instead of serving others, then one day it's going to fall. It's going to come down like a house of cards. A house, Jerusalem or Babylon, it's one or the other. Prostitute or bride, it's one or the other. The one is sand, the other is rock. The One will fall, the other is secure. One is hopeless, but the other is full of joy. Who are you? I just want to ask you to do something today. Um, And you do this before you go to sleep tonight, or you do this even before you leave here, and uh, it's this. I want to ask you all, if you would be willing to ask God to take you to the wilderness okay in other words God would you take me out of my situation for just a minute and and what would that look like well maybe that means going to a park sometime this afternoon okay and saying God would you help me see this world the way you see it would you Help me to see my job the way you see it. Help me to see my marriage the way you see it. Help me to see the things that are going on in my life the way you see it, God. Would you just take me out of this, my world so that I can see clearly and give me some glasses and help me see. Maybe, maybe, maybe the wilderness for you is going to a park. Maybe it's getting together with someone in your small group or, or maybe a brother or sister in Christ who is able to look across the table look across the table and look you in the eye and say, you're bluffing it. You're bluffing. I can see you're bluffing and that's that. And if you've got someone in your life who can challenge you like that, God bless you. You're rich. You're rich. Get together with someone and you know, God, help me see as you see it and so that I can be the person you want me to be. I want to be bride. I want to be part of the new Jerusalem. I'm, I'm going to pray over you all for that b- before we leave. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to leave. But well, I think it would be so wonderful if, and this happened after first service, we had little groups of twos or threes who didn't even wait to leave the campus. And if you, you need to go receive your children and... Uh, but maybe one of the spouses can go and and while someone else, you stay with your brothers and sisters, you say, pray with me to help me to see, see this world the way God wants me to see it. Because once you see it, then you'll know, you'll know, You 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 see that picture of the before and after on methamphetamines and you know You see it the way God sees it. You'll know how to live. I'm going to be here and and I'm going to pray over you. And then if you need some prayer individually up here, I'll be here. Our elders will be here. And we just want to pray for clear vision. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for redeeming us from Babylon. Thank you so much for taking us out and rescuing us. Thank you that because of Jesus, we we do not belong to Babylon, that we are a part of the new Jerusalem, that we do not belong to this, this hideous, intoxicated prostitute, but that we belong to the bride, the beautiful, beautiful bride of Christ. And we are adorned with jewelry, but jewelry from heaven. And you've adorned us, and so now, Lord, help us to live the way you see us. Open our eyes that we may see. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.